Hello and welcome to Football Unfocused, the podcast that uh, uh, has, with a laser uh, lens, looks at every issue uh, related to football, both modern and historic, uh, in a rambly chat way with myself uh, and my friend Matthew. I am Mark, this is Matthew. Say hello, Matthew. Hello, hello. Um, Yes, so today's episode is going to be quite oh look at that that was so natural that was so natural you just like oh yeah yes yes hello and then just start segueing into what are we talking about today Matthew no no well that's it that was you know that was going to be my my intro is that I don't actually you you told me that not to do any research today and so I'll be able to contribute even less <laughs> to, to, but but, in, but I, it's interesting I would say I could contribute less but add more value in doing so <laughs> yeah yeah that's well that's true of every every interaction it, it, on and off of this podcast just in your life <laughs> the less you contribute the more value you bring i'm, I'm imagining your various bosses have told you that over the years have they? has been blamed in across my mid-year reviews of, of yeah the, yeah 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 appraisal yeah contribute less more value yeah yeah. So what are we talking about today then, Matt? Because, uh, you know, you've already badged it up. You've already tried to lower expectations by uh, saying that you're going to bring even less to it than you normally would. So I've told you not to research. And, and, and interestingly, uh, that is uh, – <laughs> I don't really see how that could uh, lead to any drop in quality because the research that you've done for the subjects that we have discussed over the last few weeks has been so fucking awful. Uh <laughs> And it's gone down like a real sack of shit uh, on every occasion. <laughs> that really, you're, you're much better off just trying to wing it. The, the last episode when we spoke, I I um I went on for about three or four minutes, sort of giving my take on a particular subject. And then by the end of it, you just said, "You just like that's that's the most un- uninspired point I've ever had." <laughs> yeah, that's just just bo- bollocks. Yeah, yeah. I'm sure. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure there'll be more of it today, and as you possibly <laughs> possibly don't even know what we're talking about today, today's a, a oh, bit no, more of a loop. Go on then, go on then, you, drop that you, bombshell, Matt. You, you, you messaged me and you said, I'd like to talk about emotion, and uh, I can't even quite, emotion and the impact of football fandom on everyday life. Yes, that might so, sound to you like a trivial issue, that is the essence of what it is to be into football, and by which I mean properly into football, not some, you know, fly-by-night, oh, check the results on an app and then carry on watching fucking, you know, RuPaul's Drag Race. I'm talking... Uh, uh, I'm talking... Where you build your life around it, and what that means, and the impact that can have on your relationships, and the way in which you live your social life, and your memories, and your interests, and your tastes, and your passions—literally everything—stems from football. It might just be uh, me just kind of opening up, and because literally, so seventy percent of my uh, uh, kind of interests and values and and memories, uh, particularly fond memories, but also painful memories seem to stem from my obsession with football, whereas other people probably draw from a, a kind of much more, you know, a broad brush of uh, of experiences. And I'm not, you know, I'm, I'm not that smart enough for that. I'm, yeah. a limit, I'm a limited basic human being. Yeah. 
I think also I should say at this point that you, you messaged me just before we uh, started this podcast to say, don't worry about cutting the episodes down to half an hour. Just keep them as long as they need to be. Yeah, yeah. No, no, no. I didn't say as long as they need to be. I just said that we don't need to be obsessed with getting it in. Our loyal listeners, and there must be at least two of them by now, uh, will listen to us for as long as uh, it takes for for their for their thirst for uh, insights, uh, knowledge, and entertainment to be uh, satisfied. And you know, we are here. We are here serving the drinks, and they will they will greedily consume those drinks for as long as uh, the the tap is pouring until the barrel runs dry. <laughs> so, okay, well, looking back on uh, your previous relationships, how would you have said? How would you have said that football has impacted those? I mean, that's just that's an incredible question, Matt, because you're 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 straight away you've gone in there and asked me to start opening up about. Uh, my uh, my relationships, and I'm a very private man, Matt, as you know. Um, what I will say is that anyone who has been in any way involved uh, with me, uh, anyone who's that unfortunate, um, has, I guess, probably to accept and, and understand a level of devotion to football that I would regard it as probably excessive. You know, it's it's a bit it's a over and above. You you know, like you meet people you. You meet people at work. You meet people at, you know, when you're still at school or college or whatever, and like they talk about football and they they talk about how much they love football. And I I I don't know. I'm I'm probably a little, just a little bit of an extremist, really. And I I just I I hear most people speaking. I think I don't think you're as as into it as I am. And and <laughs> and I think that and I think that one of the it must be horrendous because uh, it probably dawns on you quite quickly. Oh yeah, this guy really. He really is banging. He's really banging on about football a lot. So, has live live TV or live coverage of football has has that that must have made made your you know your uh, your obsession with football worse? No, 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 no. It has no impact because live TV for me is an inconvenience. It's an inconvenience. I wish there was less of it because I wish more games. Because I look at everything from the point of view of attending a match. Right? I'm not interested in making things easy for people who only ever watch it on telly, which will be certainly what 95% of people who watch football are doing so just because the sheer numbers are doing so from their uh, living rooms. I, I couldn't give a fuck about them. I, I look at everything from the point of view of match attending fans. So I look at every time a game gets its kickoff time or its date change for live TV, I'm resentful of it. And obviously, you know, with Liverpool, with so many of our games are on telly, you know, probably seven games out of every 10 in a normal non-COVID season. Because obviously at the moment, as we discussed, everything's on telly at the moment. But in a normal non-COVID season, seven games out of 10, for example, are on telly. And that means every time it's on telly, that means it's not Saturday at three o'clock. So that means it's going to be, you know, Saturday lunchtime. That's great. Um, because that means you can still, I can still get up there and then get back on the same day. Saturday evening, that means an overnight stay. So you've got to then factor in, you know, hotels, etc. Um and Monday night, obviously the same. Sunday's not so bad, although it does then affect the extent to which you can kind of enjoy your Saturday because you're like, oh, fuck, I've got an early start tomorrow. Um, and yeah, so it, it hasn't, football being on telly hasn't like um, sort of increased the obsession because my obsession is, of course, it is with watching football, but the real, the real drug, you know, the real pure 
the pure stuff that I need mainlining into my uh, into my bloodstream <laughs> is the buzz of being in a football stadium. That's that's what I need, you know. And sort of go, going sort of more more fundamentally into that, right? <laughs> so, like, I could tell you honestly, I could tell you what was playing on the PA system in the stadium the first time I walked into Anfield. And as a result, there are, there are two songs that I would always love because they played at, uh, as I walked into the ground in, in uh, October 1994, when I first went in there, and at time. Uh, and it was a song um, called Secret by Madonna, which was a 1994 release when I went into the ground. That was playing. As a result, I would always love that song and I was associated with that. And uh, then there was Oasis, who were a new band at the time. It was Cigarettes and Alcohol by Oasis. And George, the, the PA announcer, in his uh, beautiful kind of Ringo Starr kind of droll Merseyside accent, uh, said, oh, these are a new band from uh, um, uh, Manchester called Oasis. And uh, and I'll ne- I will never forget that. And I will always love those songs. In 1996, I went to see West Ham Liverpool at Upton Park. And uh, sat in the. Uh, those were in the days. Do you remember um, where Matt and I, for, for you listeners out there, when Matt, where Matt and I went to school, we were um, the other side of a big field to the West Ham training ground at the time, which was in Chabalith. And uh, these, in those days, you could you could just walk into the training ground, and just have a look while they were training. It was amazing. They were great, great, great days. And we used to. From year ten, year ten and eleven and sixth form, once you're allowed out at lunchtime, you go and buy a bag of chips or something, and then go and just walk around and 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 uh, watch them train. Um, because we used to go down there quite a lot. Some of the lads who were playing for West Ham at the time got to kind of know us. There's a couple: John Monker, Stan Lazaridis, um, and Ian Wright in particular, who used to talk to us all the time. And Harry himself, Harry Redknapp, who was the manager. I remember. I remember the Friday before we played them on the Sunday. Yeah, in fact, I could even tell you the fucking date. It was the the, the date was twenty eighth of September nineteen ninety six. So this would have been twenty sixth um, uh, of September nineteen ninety six. And we went down the training ground, and uh, Harry came out and spoke to me. We All right, boys. And we said, um, "Yeah, we go. We we uh, we go. Me and this other lad, uh, Russell, who you know, Matt. We, we, we said, well, we go in the game on um, Saturday, Sunday.'" And uh, I said to him, I've got, I've got to be honest, Harry, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm supporting Liverpool. I'm gonna, and I'll be written I'll be for your son, Jamie, even though I don't think he'd play, I think he was injured. And uh, he said, where are you sitting, boy? Are you in your way? And I went, no, no, no. I'm, I, 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 you know, I've not started going to home games yet. I've not got access to away tickets. I said, I'm just going to chance my arm in the uh, Trevor Brookin upper. And he just uh, went to me, be careful up there, boy, because it can get fucking perilous. And <laughs> I thought, fuck it, that's brilliant. But but on that day, on that day, I walked into the ground and, and a song called Marblehead Johnson by the Blue Tones was playing. And I went out and bought that on CD single the following week, probably, uh, you know, R Price or Woolworths or HMV in Romford. And uh, again, that's another song, just a random away game, because we, I think also because we run the game wearing a beautiful Ecru uh, shirt with black shorts. Stan Collymore and Michael Thomas scored for us that day. Slavan Bilic scored for West Ham. And like, just, just those memories. First time I went to Anfield as an as an adult um, on me, on my own was as trusted to kind of make the trip on my own. Ninety nine November nineteen ninety eight. Uh, uh, walked in the stadium and uh, a song called Each Time by East Seventeen was playing. Right, that is a song under normal circumstances that I would rightly despise because it's awful. Um, but I love it 
because I think of it, it makes me feel what everything that I felt is so evocative. It makes me feel what I felt when I walked in. And I remember walking in that day and we were, we were in the, on the cop only about four rows back. So I was really close to watch standing behind the goal when David James was warming up um, with Robbie Fowler um, taking shots at him and um, Paul Lintz, I think. And just honestly, the, the, the first bar of that song and I'm back there, I'm in that position and I'm, 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 um, that you know, sort of sixteen-year-old, just turned seventeen-year-old, um, uh, just fucking excited and just you know in awe of these these lads. And uh, but it's not even just Liverpool. I remember like uh, when you and I were at school together. Did you go when when our um, our PE teacher sorted out a bunch of tickets to? Uh, yeah, yeah, Bill Stallard, Bill Stallard. <laughs> Hello, Billy, if you're listening. Uh, hope, hope you keep hope you keep him well. Um, but he sorted out the. The qualification campaign for the 1998 World Cup, um, we had a crucial, England had a crucial qualifier against Italy because in our group, they were the sort of toughest team to beat and it was like only the top of the group team goes through for the World Cup in France 98. And uh, we had this, we played Italy at home first and then uh, later in the campaign, we played them away. And uh, we, he sorted out a bunch of tickets for this home. We had got like a coach uh, over to Wembley. And I can remember like it was yesterday, uh, the Oasis album Be Here Now uh, had just been uh, released and having that on in the, on the back of the coach, listening to, uh, you know, all the, going through the whole track list of that and then coming on to a bit of the, uh, it must have been the North Circular, the A406, where the twin, the beautiful Twin Towers of Wembley appear in the distance. And that, again, stuck in the memory, you know, absolutely lodged in the memory. And I can't listen to that album without thinking of that moment and how happy it made me feel. Surely you have, you know, people being obsessed with a particular sport or specifically football. I mean, you know, there's huge reams of material in films and books. You must have met people like yourself. who are Oh, just- yeah, yeah, of course. Of course. Yeah, yeah. I mean, a lot of the lads who I go to uh, Anfield with are just as obsessed. In fact, some are even... I would say even more so in that they don't have other interests. At least I'm, I, I try and regard myself as a semi-normal character. I mean, I fucking love cricket, for example, and I'll go, I'll sit and watch cricket all day long and, and you know, snooker and athletics and uh, quite to be politics as well, Matt, as, <laughs> as you may know. Uh, fuck the Tories. Um, but, but, um, but but so yeah so so it's not like it's football and nothing. I, I, I don't I don't think of myself mm. as a as a one dimensional person. But I do think that I'm I'm just so regimented around you know drop everything once the football season starts that it must make me a difficult person to. Uh, I don't think. Do you, do you look I, at them though? Do you look at them and think, oh, they they, that, you know, do you see yourselves in them in in that God? You know, it must be a bloody well, mean, it, kind of walk. No, no, no. Well, their line well around you, your one mind. thing I do, one thing I do always look at is, I guess, the reason why I was running through the other things in life that I am actually interested in is that it is. I do think it is important, no matter how much you love football and how obsessed you are with football, to actually have other things. Because if you've just got that, then you really <laughs> are pretty stuck. Plus, what the fuck do you do during the summer? I mean, good lord. Whereas I actually enjoy the summer. This is the weird. This is the weird thing. I guess uh, it's what a wanker might call a dichotomy. Um, in the uh, in the in the whilst I love football and kind of you know um, just lap everything up about it and base so much of my life around it, there's a part of me that dreads it, fears it, and enjoys a break from it. Like I don't. When I was a kid, right, I 
the 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 close season, the summer months were a nightmare. I would just be counting down the days until the new season started, sitting there reading my copy of Shoot, putting my league ladders up on the wall, and getting ready to put start slotting the teams in every week when they when they you know after the, that round of results. Now I I don't want the new season to start, and I think that is because of the the physical and emotional. Um, straight of it like just you just know right this is now gonna this is for the next nine months this is taking up so much of my kind of emotional space my logistical energy as well of just sorting everything out and being one step ahead in terms of you know are you if that fixture is going to change and you've got to make sure you've got your hotel sorted you've got to book your trains up you've got to make sure that you know the amount of time off work i've had to take over um over the last, you know, six years or so, particularly when Liverpool are in the Champions League and you have to take time off midweek. I mean, I had a, two jobs ago. My the, the guy who ran that company absolutely fucking hated the way in which I'd take my holiday because I would go, say we've got a Tuesday night Champions League game. So I'd work until lunchtime on the Tuesday, get the train up to Liverpool and then take the next morning off and then turn up at lunchtime. So it means you're doing these two half days, um, morning of one day, afternoon of the other. And... He knew, and I knew that they essentially were. It was essentially two days off because you're not really doing. And then you come you, you, in the morning. You're just excited about leaving, and you're just like you're in a fucking good mood, and you're just like you got your bag down there, and you're just like, yeah, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna go through the motions of it, and I'm gonna slip off. Uh, and oh, and by the way, I've booked a train probably an hour earlier than I should have done, so I'm not even technically doing a fucking half day. And then, the, and then the next day, you come back, and you, you the chances are you've probably got uh, a slight lingering hangover. And uh, you're, you're not going to be in any way productive. And you're just sitting there. And then people are coming up to you going, oh, how's the game? And then you're just spending all afternoon fucking talking about that. So he hated, he hated. But, but, but when I think, you know, if you're in a, especially if you work for a stingy company where they don't give, they only give you like the statutory minimum holiday allowance. And then you're using, uh, you know, say seven days out of those 20, 25 days or whatever, just for going to midweek Champions League group stage matches, you've got to have a pretty understanding partner who's then, who's then, you know, going to say, oh, why can't we go on this two-week holiday? Oh, because I haven't got enough leave left because I, 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 I used it on watching Red Star Belgrade. <laughs> so, 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 you know, it's um, – but, but, yeah, I'm not, I'm not claiming to be unique, but what I'm saying is that it's, mm. it can be a difficult concept to get across to people who don't have that at all, who don't know what that's like and can't understand. Like, I think some people I would be almost affen- affronted by it. That, that that something would be so important to me that it would mean that I would be less enthusiastic about attending something that is important to them. It doesn't mean for one second that I I, I think any less of, of the stuff that's important to them or their occasion. It just means that I can't get over my own uh, fixation and obsession. I wouldn't I wouldn't like, you know, turn up in a mood and, and you know and make a thing of it. I would but, but I would secretly be fucking resentful. <laughs> resentful. <laughs> but one thing I tried not to do, and, and, and I think I've got a lot better at this over the years, is that, I've, you know, in the old days, I think the, I would feel so uh, – the, the, the result of a football match would affect me so much that that then affects my mood for the rest of the day, even even potentially like the week. And uh, that's, that's not fair. You've got to get over that. You can't be like – being a dickhead and you know bringing your fucking mood. I mean, I'm not saying it never happens, but I try and make sure it happens as little as possible. But I remember when um, in 2014, when um, 
Liverpool looked like out of nowhere. They just put this run together and like, wow, we've been average for so many years. And oh fuck, we're going to win the fucking league. It was this is an unbelievable run. Run about run about fourteen games in a row. Luis Suarez and Sturridge and Coutinho and Sterling were just we were just massacring teams. And then it obviously it all fell apart when um, two games to go and Steven Gerrard slipped against Chelsea and we got we got sucker punched in a game where we should have just realised that they'd come to play for the draw, but we didn't. We kept attacking them and blah, 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 blah. After that game, genuinely, I felt properly depressed for about a month, like properly, as in couldn't stop thinking about it, just felt low, no enthusiasm for anything. And it was not, I weren't, I weren't mentioning it to people. I weren't like, you know... Um, wallowing in it and saying, oh, I can't like, live. But I, if I'm being honest, I could not stop thinking about that for at least a month. But on the flip side, on the nice side of that, you know, I, this time, almost this time two years ago, when I spent three days in Madrid for the Champions League final, I had such a magical experience of that and enjoyed that, that, that three days culminating in the game and then winning the Champions League so much that I would go as far as saying that for the remainder of that, for the remainder of that year, so we're talking for the next six months, I felt untouchable. Like I was like, I don't care what happens to me now. I, I saw us win the Champions League. I don't, I don't give a fuck. Like throw whatever you like at me, whatever. I'll bat it away because I'm just happy and I can't stop being happy and I won't stop being happy and I don't care. And it, it was the most amazing feeling. So what else could make you feel like that? Yeah, I mean, I mean there probably is. Not- well, go on, what. I was going to say, there are probably loads of things that can make you feel like that, but <laughs> yeah. too, too, too shallow Nothing. an individual to have found it. Nothing I'm interested in anyway. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Apart yeah. <laughs> from relationships, of course. Well, I, I feel <laughs> yeah, I should yeah, add yeah, that. Yeah. I feel yeah, I should add that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, in Friendship. terms of interest, what other interests yeah, yeah. do you feel like that? Yeah. Well, one thing I don't know if, if this has been conscious or if you feel like is a fair comment, but... You seem to um, manage expectations. So when we talk about football, when we talk about Liverpool in, in particular, you you often paint uh, a slightly worse case scenario as to the outcome of a particular match or the outcome of the, yeah. the league result. I don't know. Do, do, do you think that's fair? Are you doing that a bit more consciously, or are you or have you? Is that something you you've kind of always done a little bit? Just to make sure, if if the worst comes to the worst, the fool isn't you know the the fool isn't quite as hard. Yeah, that's quite an interesting observation, that Matt. And I don't say that often to you because uh, most of the things <laughs> that you say are just are just bullshit. Uh, but, <laughs> but, um, but actually, yeah. Do you know what? You, I think you're you are absolutely right. I think firstly, I hate those fucking. I, I've I've always really rejected you. I actually think one of the ways in which you can tell the difference between a a, a proper kind of died in the wall match attending fan who's had their share of like knocks and disappointment and knows what it's like to travel home for four hours after a you know one nil defeat against Blackpool. Um, you can massively tell the difference between one of them and another one who's watched it on telly have been mildly inconvenienced for a couple of hours about it. Um, and wh- one of the things that, that, that for me shows that more never is the difference between the way in which people will, will sort of make bold predictions about their, their club. So, so I, you know, I had a pop at Soccer AM the other week and I'll make it again now. This I feel that the culture kind of engendered through that is to always be on the front foot and always be bullish. Oh, we're going to 
we're going to smash it. Oh, how are you going to get on the weekend? Oh, we'll do them five nil. Yeah, blah, blah, blah. I've never been like that, right? I don't, I, I don't know. Maybe if I fucking spoke to a, like a psychologist or something, they might say, oh, it's because you are, you are exactly as you suggest, like managing expectations. You're not wanting to put yourself up. You don't want to commit to believing that. Um, you're gonna, your team's gonna achieve something amazing because then it will be all the more hurtful, or you'll look like a twat if it doesn't happen. I think it's maybe a certain amount of that. Maybe even I'm not. I don't think of myself as a superstitious person, but it might even be an element of that where I just think, fuck, don't tempt fate by saying. So, you know, every single time I go to a game, and the lads will go with today, I'll say, what do you reckon the score today? And I'll say one nil. <laughs> And I, and I and I mean to the opposition. I, I always think I always, and even when we didn't lose a home game for because I haven't seen us lose a home game. Bear in mind that Liverpool have lost what six home games this season in a fucking row, having not lost a home game for nearly four years. And that's the last time I saw us uh, lose lose at home. So we've gone, we've gone nearly four years without watching us lose a home league game. I've seen us lose in the Champions League, and obviously I've been away and seen us lose away in that time. But I haven't seen us lose a home game, and the majority of the games go to a home game. But yeah, I will still, you know, if we're in a pub before a home game against um, Crystal Palace, and they say, yeah, blimey, you know, we haven't, we haven't lost a home game for three and a half years. How are we going to do today? 1-0 to Palace. <laughs> And I, I always do that. And I, the thing is, I believe it. And I'm, I'm, I'm anxious before every single game. It's, 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 uh, it's weird. It's weird because I guess that's me projecting unnecessary levels of anxiety on myself. And it's not, it's not necessarily because if you looked at that rationally, and, and you know, someone not involved with no skin in the game, they would just look and go, well, yes, you're, you're obviously it's going to be like two or three nil at worst today. Just relax and, you know, sit back and, you know, enjoy your um, illicitly smuggled into the stadium hip flask of whiskey uh, that I may or, that I may or may not have in my pocket uh, for every <laughs> every home game. Uh, <laughs> but, but yeah, so I do. Yeah, it's quite an interesting observation that man. I do, do. I do do that, and it isn't. I don't think it is just to like so that so that I never fall into the trap of um, being overconfident, so that people can then go ah, you wanker, like you know. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's um I guess there is an element of not wanting to give people the satisfaction in that, but also I think you know it's not always where things the last few years from 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 the narrow perspective of me and the club I support, you know, things have obviously gone remarkably well and they're having a wobble at the moment, but somehow it's a little bit more more bearable when you're when you're not there. Um, and when you're not facing a long journey home afterwards. So in a way, it's quite a good time for us to have this uh, sort of really terrible run of form. Um, but, but I, you know, never forget that the years in which, you know, we, we were, we were really on the scheme of things pretty shit. Now I know that's relative and there are people who support properly shit teams who have suffered like relegations and all sorts of stuff who, who will say, come on, what have you ever, the worst that's happened to you is you finished eighth. And that, that is right. It's true. But then it's all relative, isn't it, in terms of expectation? And if you, you know, in a really dire se- season where you just think you're getting further and further away from the clubs that are kind of dominating things, I've seen a lot of those those average years. So you, therefore, you don't you appreciate the good times more, but you also don't get too cocky because you you understand that it, nothing lasts forever. Football is sick, cyclical, and the clubs that you look at and you say they're impenetrable, they're going to dominate forever. They never do. They never do. There are people who supported the Manx all that time under Ferguson where they're winning trophy. What do they win? 13 Premier League titles. People forget 
that they'd only won, I think, what was it, eight in their history in best part of 100 years before then, yeah? So then they go and win 13 in in um, 26 years. Uh, and what have they done since? Fuck, they've, they've not got anywhere close to winning it again. And even this season, I would say that the chances are they're going to finish second, but they're going to get nowhere near winning the league. And they're, 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 sit- they're not even the biggest club in their own city anymore because Man City are just getting stronger and stronger and stronger. And the chances are that, you know, in order, look at what Liverpool had to do to, to finish above them. You're talking about getting like 100 points. I mean, that's outrageous. And like all the time in the um, in the in the 90s, if you look back at all the league titles in the 90s that Ferguson's team were winning, even when Wenger's Arsenal threatened them, and you're talking 76, 78, 82 points to win the league. The last few years, you'd you'd finish third with those, or fourth with that points total to win the league. You've had to be the last two or three years. You had to be almost perfect. Um, so. Uh, so yeah, but what, but what that shows is that nothing does last forever, you know. And you have, as a football fan, you have to just appreciate every second of those good times and never ever be complacent and don't get fucking cocky and don't think that just because you, oh, we're the biggest club in the world and you know, it's the success will last forever because it fucking won't. Even Man City, you look at it now and you think, how could they ever not dominate? Because they've essentially got the resources of a of a state. <laughs> they are they are a state backed team with limitless funds. You say, how is that ever, ever going to stop? But they will. They will have a wobble. Their manager will eventually leave. They'll have players who will reach their, the end of their cycle and they'll make some, you know, poor decisions in replacing those players and they'll have a couple of seasons. Yeah, they might not go back to the, the how Man City were in like the 90s when they ended up in the third tier. It's pretty clear that's not going to happen unless, unless all that money is withdrawn. But you know, relatively speaking, they'll have a wobble because no one dominates. If, if a team dominates forever, no one watch it anymore. It'll just be boring as fuck. You know, there needs to be that element of peril. And that's the that's the whole basis of being a football fan. That's the joy of it. That's the frustration of it. And that's the kind of the addictive highs and lows that, um, that, that, uh, that at the same time kind of define your life, but also to a large extent ruin your life. <laughs> that seems like a great point to... Uh... <laughs> to, to, to wrap up, to, to wrap up. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm just very aware, Matt, that um, just just before we finish, I mean, I'd hate to leave this without giving um, oh, uh, our three or four listeners the opportunity to understand <laughs> how how your obsession with football has uh, has affected your life and your ability to make decisions and to plan your social life, Matt. I mean, it must be really tricky for you. Yeah, yeah. No, okay, yeah. So yeah, sit sit back and and listen because I'm going to start from the very beginning. Yeah, yeah, my please. Obsession, my obsession yeah. with football. Well, 